How many of you want to have a good life? Yeah, it's not a trick question. I want to have a good life too. Um, the challenge becomes in defining what is a good life. Uh, I inherited a cabin uh, in northern Minnesota, and a lot of people up there would say owning a cabin and being up in northern Minnesota is a good life. I beg to differ because the mosquitoes are horrendous. So it depends on when you're up there and all that kind of stuff. Some would say retirement and, and working towards that phase of life and having money and time and all that, uh, you know, would be the good life. I have some pictures up here that are oftentimes the visuals of what we think of uh, when we think of the good life. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't mind that car. That'd be pretty good. There you go. I'd love to do that. And um, only thing missing behind that boat is someone skiing, Amen. Should be skiing behind a boat like that. And then family. A lot of people say family's a good life. And education oftentimes is uh, what we think will lead to a good life, or it could be as simple as a good food. And that's the good life. So what we're going to do for the next five weeks, using the, first, uh, uh, the book of 1 Peter, is talk about what really is the good life. Okay? And... And uh, it's really important that we have a biblical understanding of what is the good life. Um, so this short epistle was, was written by Peter, probably the most well-known of uh, the original 12 disciples. Uh, he was instrumental in the formation and ministry of the early church. Um, uh, if you read the book of Acts... Basically, the first few chapters are the story of Peter and, and the ministry that God uh, uh, created in him. Um, now, First Peter itself was written to encourage believers of that time who were going through persecution. So really, this series that we're looking at right now for the next five weeks from First Peter is a continuation of the Here to There series, uh, the last four weeks in adversity. Only we're not, we're not going to talk about how to deal with adversity. We're not going to talk about how to hang in there. In this series, what we're really going to talk about is how to have a good life in spite of the trials and hardships that you're going through. Now, you've got to have the good life redefined because a lot of us think, the good life is a comfortable life. I fall into that trap. I think when uh, I think about the good life, I think leisure. I think time to do all the hobbies I enjoy. No responsibility. Uh, that's really describing the comfortable life, not not necessarily the good life. And if you define the good life incorrectly, if you define it like I just articulated to you, it'll be an elusive thing that you never experience. But the good life for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ is that contentment we have in knowing that we're a son or daughter of the living God. It's that peace that he gives that goes into our hearts that transcends any situation that we find ourselves. It's this grace that we get to live out that God does things in us that we cannot do in ourselves. It's this enjoyment. I just, that song, Mighty to Save, is one of my favorites. And the first time I heard that song was at a Catalyst conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and there were 11,000 ministers singing. There were two bands, and I cried because it was so powerful. Now, I had that experience come back to me every time we sing the song. I don't expect you to have that experience because you didn't have my experience, right? But I think sometimes there's this overwhelming enjoyment that we have. That's the good life. That's the sweet spot in Jesus Christ. And God wants us to understand to define the good life correctly. Otherwise, hardships and trials 
in the elusiveness of some of these comfortable things in, in life will be this ever-changing, out-there image of, I want to have that or I'm not happy, and that's not going to bring you happy. So when, when we get into... First Peter, we're going to really define throughout this series what the good life is. Now, beginning in chapter 1, we're going to tackle this subject matter, okay? And I have up here a little balance that I made, a balance scale that I made that I think that's illustrative of what First Peter is getting at. Because First Peter has a life-changing therefore in it. And whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask the question, what is it there for? Because it's usually connecting some former thought to some other thought. So First Peter begins giving us some things that we have because we're born again in Jesus Christ. These are some weights. These are some givens on this balance that I call the good life. Because of these things, we get to this therefore in about the middle of, of First Peter, and therefore we ought to have some other things weigh into our life that be, begin to be how we live and how we do life and, and the lifestyle that we adopt. And the good life, I think, is achieved when this stuff is all kind of in balance, okay? And that's what we're going to talk on this morning. Um, you know what a balance scale is, right? Some of you are pretty young. You just know what digital is. This is the old mechanical system where you put a weight over here of, of known amount. If you want to, like, say, I have this ancient ankle weight. Isn't this cool? It's vintage, I will take offers for this. this. This could be historical. It's 40 years old. I had these when I was in high school. These are called ankle weights. You strap them onto your ankle, right? And you run with them for some insanely stupid reason. But at any rate, if, so if I didn't know what that weighed, I could put it over here, and then I could take these known weights. This is like a two-pounder, and, and it would balance. I'm not going to do that because I honestly just don't have time. So, so you have some known weight here to, to, to kind of you know, offset and, and get you to know the weight over here. Well, what we have in First Peter is a whole bunch of known weights here that right away, that's what it begins to articulate to us. This is what you have because of the new birth in Jesus Christ. So then we get to therefore the pivotal point, and it says because you, you have these things weighing in in your life, then these other things ought to weigh in and balance it out over here in how you do your, your actual life. So let's begin by looking at 1 Peter and going to uh, uh, verse um, 3, I believe it is, and reading through verse 12. This is the known weight side of this good life scale. I'm calling this the good life scale. I don't care what you call it. It's arbitrary, random, okay? You can just call it a balance or whatever, but I, I just... For, from now on, so I don't confuse you, I'm just calling this the good life scale, okay? Just the label, amen? Here we go. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever just done that? Have you ever just praised God for what you have? Because that's what the Apostle Peter's doing here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you gently or greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I don't know how you read scripture, but sometimes I read it and it's just so profound that I stop and just go, wow. First Peter is like that. Some of this is familiar, but some of it is so profound and life-changing. So we're going to go to the known side of the scale right here. That's what this section of 1 Peter does. Then we're going to get to the pivot point, the therefore. Then we're going to talk about these other things that ought to weigh into our life that, that, that balance out these known things. So the good life starts by giving your heart and surrender to Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and being filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means when Peter says, new birth. You have done that. By faith, you have come to God, admitted I am a sinner, I am not doing my life right. You've asked Christ into your life. He's come in. You are now acknowledging him as your Savior, and you're serving him as your Lord, and you're asking the Holy Spirit to fill your life and do in you those things you cannot do yourself. Having that given, there are some things now that weigh into the good life for us. First thing is this. You have a living hope. A living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, living means this. Causing to live. So you have a causing to live in you hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So If you've been born again, you have this hope in you that you can't quench. It just is there. This uh, last week, or at least a week ago, I was at uh, the Lake Place with our family vacationing, and my son Nate loves yard games. And so he brought this game called Can Jam. And I've played that before, but I've not played it this much ever in my life. And what it is, is you've got these two cylinders that are a couple feet tall, and they're about two feet in diameter with a slot in front. And you put them about 30, 40 yards apart, whatever you, you feel like doing. And you have a partner, and you play against another team, and you throw a Frisbee, because it's a yard game. You throw a Frisbee, and if, if you make it through a, the slot or in the top of the can without hit the, your, your, your teammate, who's over here with this other can, touching it, you instantly win the game, okay? That's really hard to do. If you just hit the can with the Frisbee, you get two points. If you throw the Frisbee and it goes above the can and your teammate smashes it into the top of the can, that's a slam dunk, you get three points. If he just ticks the can or she ticks the Frisbee and it ticks the can, then then you get one point. It's kind of a cool game. I mean, you know, something to do with your family and friends. You know what I experienced in that game mostly? Hopelessness. It seemed like I was on the losing side frequently. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of a math kind of guy. So we would be down 
21 to 14. Then you get one last chance to throw when the other team reaches 21. So you two can jams, 6 plus 14 is 20. You lose. So you have to get it in that stupid little slot or the top circle of the can, which is very difficult. And I remember, you know, we'd all talk big, but in my mind I'm going, this is hopeless. We have just lost another one of these can jams. And my family does not win graciously. They do dancing and say things like in your face and stuff like that. I don't know why. Where would they get that from? At any rate, so I thought of this message. And I thought, you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we never are hopeless. Because part of what weighs in when you're born again in Christ is this causing you to live hope. It just resides in your soul. It's part of the package of being born again. I'd like us to read Romans 15, 13 out loud, and I would encourage you to memorize this scripture. It's just good scripture. Read it with me, would you? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's just supposed to be this hope in us. It's supposed to be one of the weights of our salvation that's just part of the scale of the good life for us. All right, are you getting this? This is supposed to weigh in. Secondly, uh, we need to move on to uh, another weight that I think is equally important. But before we get there, I want to take a trip with you back to the 1970s. Now, for some of you, you're going to be able to go there because you lived it. For some of you, you go, I didn't live it. That doesn't matter. Just go with me anyway. Take an imaginary trip. In the 1970s, at the beginning of the decade and the end of that decade, two significant songs came out that really talked about the importance of primary relationships. In 1971, Carole King wrote the song, You Got a Friend in Me. How many remember that song? It's not Toy Story, guys. It's not Toy Story. It's the old, go on YouTube and listen to the song if you've never heard it before. You've got a friend in me. It really talked about this idea of, of, a, of a very deep friendship. And I remember one of the lines, she said, when you call, I'll come running, you know. I remember thinking, yeah, right, sure. You know, but anyway, that, that the song was about this really deep friendship. Then at the end of the 1970s, in 1979, Sister Sledge came out with a song that's still really popular. You guys know what it is, right? We are family. Remember them singing that? We are family. Woo, you know. And it, they, they just took off. And it morphed from being kind of a song about them being family to the hum, human race being a family. It's kind of taken on that context now. Would you agree with me on that? We are family. And basically those two songs get at something that, that God says here in First Peter to us is one of the things that weigh in as a newborn person in Jesus Christ. And this is point number two in your note-taking guide. You have an inheritance. In other words, you have family connections to God, and we all have this basic need to have family connections, don't we? And if you're a person that has an inheritance, usually that means you're a family member because who inherits? Family. So when that language is used by Peter, he's saying, you have this weight on the scale of the good life. You've got to understand that you are family with God. You have a friend in Christ. Jesus doesn't call us his sermon anymore. He calls us his what? His friends. And we're part of the family of God. And that, that's a given. And that, that's one of those weights you just need to know that if, if you're a Christian, that that is part of the package. Let's go to one last known weight here on this balance of the good life. You have the continued activity 
of God at work in your life. In other words, you're shielded by his power. Peter says you're shielded by the power of God. And what he's saying is basically when you become a new creature by giving your life to Jesus Christ, you are now a recipient of the continual activity of God in your life. You are shielded by his power. That doesn't mean you won't suffer trials because he says you're going to suffer trials that cause grief here. But the idea here is that you're going to have an intimacy and relationship going on with God that causes you to experience inexpressible and glorious joy. And I think a lot of the, the ancient church fathers and, 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 and mothers got this kind of thing. And a lot of their writings were indicative of this, of this this very point. I think Martin Luther, the great reformer, got this. I know he did because of songs like A Mighty Fortress. And he says this in stanza four of A Mighty Fortress. The spirit and the gifts are ours. There it is. There it is. Because we're a child of God, we have been given some things from God. There's this activity of God at work in our hearts. The spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sideth, like goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. So he's talking about suffering. Luther's saying, you're going to suffer, but you got God with you. Amen? The body they may kill. God's truth abide us still. His kingdom is forever. So on the way inside of our scale of the good life, we have these incredible things as, as born-again people in Jesus Christ that they need to weigh in. Amen? We have this causing us to live hope. We have this whole idea that we're family. And we have this ongoing activity of God at work in our lives. And then as if to kind of make the point really valid, as if those weren't truth in and of themselves, if they weren't evident enough of themselves, the, the, the apostle Peter gives us an enlightening perspective on these known things. He says, the prophets spoke of these things, and the angels longed to look at them. The prophets spoke of these things, and the angels longed to look at them. And that, that, that isn't just a tangent he's taking there. He's, he's giving credibility to these, these concepts of, of these known things in the life of the believer. And he's saying, look at the prophets they talked about all this. They knew all about this. They were carried along by God's Spirit. And they foretold that you would be the recipients of these very things. And he says, you know what? The angels, they look from heaven. They long to look into salvation. They long to understand these things and see these things. That's kind of a cool picture, isn't it? So now we're ready to get to the therefore, to the pivot point of 1 Peter. So I'm going to read to you now 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. It says there this. Therefore, here we are, right here. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holiness needs to weigh in on this side of the scale. You seeing that? I'm... I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but holiness needs to weigh in as a follower of God. You have these known things over here, but but what Apostle Peter's saying, holiness needs to weigh in over here. It needs to be been balanced out. If you're going to have a good life, this needs to be balanced out. Holiness needs to weigh in. Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each pers uh, person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. There's another one. This has to weigh in over here. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way a life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. 
He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but an imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. So we get to this pivot point, to this life-changing therefore, and here it is. Here, here it is in, in, a, in a phrase. As a follower of Jesus, you are called to live differently. Because these things are given weights on the scale of the good life, the pivot point here, the therefore, is that you are called to live life very differently. There are big moments in our lives that frequently redefine our lives forever. Would you agree with me on that? If you were an orphan and you got adopted into the family, you would be forever redefined by that adoption process. If you won the lottery, wouldn't that not redefine you? Maybe for the good, maybe not for the good. I see a lot of people move from this mindset of success in their life. I, I, I want to get a job, a career, have some kids, get a house, buy a car. They move from that, defining them to saying, what in the world am I here for? They move to significance. I want to leave a legacy. And that shift changes how they do life. I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, have their soul awakened because they've suffered a major loss of a loved one. It changes you. When your mom passes away, your father passes away, that changes you. Changes what you think is important in life, and life takes on a shorter view. Or a major illness can do that for you. Or kids being born, boy, they change everything, don't they? And then they leave the house. That changes everything once again. So Peter brings us to this life-changing therefore. He says, since you have these things weighing in on your life, therefore, grab this moment, be understanding that it should produce in you some results. Some things need to weigh in over here that balance out these given weights in your life. And, and in the picture that's being painted here, as soon as he said this, therefore, it's followed by this phrase with minds alert and all that and sober. The picture that's being painted, if you were to go to the original Greek of the New Testament, the picture that's being painted by these words is that of a man back in that time in long robes, which is what they wore, taking his robes, tucking them into his belt, and being girded up for action. He said, because of this, therefore, take some action, live your life very differently. See, the good life is more than knowing some of the knowns. It is living a lifestyle that's resulting from these knowns. So 1 Peter gives us three distinct weights that need to weigh in, so to speak, on our scale of the good life, to use that language, that, that ought to be the fruit of, of these things in our life. First of all, Live a life of holiness. That needs to weigh in. You have to live a life of holiness. I know when I use the word holiness, most people just kind of tune out. But get this. If we've been born again, if we have in us a causing to live hope, if we understand we're the family of God, if we understand and embrace this fact that God is actively working in our lives, then as God is holy, we too should what? Be holy. 
Now, a simple definition of holiness is simply this. Loving conformance to God's commands and to his son. Not dutiful, not, you know, done with this kind of resentment, but there's this loving conformance to God's standard and to a son happening over here. Holiness is the first lifestyle that needs to weigh in. The second one is live a life of reverence as a foreigner. That needs to weigh in our lives too. There's supposed to be this reverent awe of God, and we're supposed to understand we have a temporary residence here on this earth. Um, and, 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 and when this is talked about, it says, for you know, and implying this, you know that, that, that your, your salvation was bought with a cost. The redemption cost something. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, live in reverent awe of God. Doing life without Jesus um, uh, is, 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 is ignorance. And you did that before. But now, knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he's done for you, live life very, very very differently and don't view this world don't view this world as your home it is not it's temporary then lastly live a life of love live a life of love the big idea in these last few verses of first peter is because of all this that the lord has given you and because of everything that jesus has done for you you live this life of love. And the love being talked about here is not uh, a feeling love. It's not, you know, emotional love. It's a agape love. It's this God-centered, others-oriented love. It's the love that God had for us as he sent Jesus to, to die for us. It's the love that Jesus expressed towards you and I as he went to the cross and sacrificed himself for us. So we're supposed to have this kind of love being expressed in our life towards others and towards God that's agape love now let's talk for a minute then we're going to take communion so I just want to lay your defenses down can you lay your defenses down I I do analogies like this because or pictures like because I think it pictures that's just how I am as a human being but I think what happens oftentimes in our lives and why we're not experiencing a good life is one of two things we're heavy on this side of the scale we're about learning things about God. We know a lot of things. And if you were to look at the good life balance, so to speak, the scale looks a little like that. Or maybe like that. And we're really academic. And we know a lot of things, but we're not applying them. And that's going to cause us to feel like hypocrites in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 8, I think it's verse 1 says, Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And the, the idea isn't that knowledge is bad, but knowledge in and of itself just makes us feel self-righteous. So, so sometimes we're not experiencing the good life that God intends because we're like, we're, our scale, it's like this. Now, I don't know how you were raised. I was raised, you work hard. Anybody raised that way? You don't whine, you work really hard, blah, 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 right? That was just, okay, that was... Probably not a really great way of saying that, but you follow what I'm, I'm getting after here. And so I tend to do this in my life a lot. I do all kinds of works. I'm driven. And it can drive you crazy. And these are called dead works. Because if the works in your life are done without the theological understanding of who you are in Jesus Christ and what he's given you, 
you will do these works thinking that somehow that's earning you favor with God. And that just is utter nonsense. Are you hearing that? We're called to live a life of holiness. We're called to love one another, right? And we're called to do these kinds of things, um, have her in awe of God, but not, not out of duty and not out of self-effort, but by abiding so closely with God, we can't hardly help but do these things. And when we get all this stuff in balance, I'm just telling you, that's the good life, and it doesn't matter if you're going through trials. This still prevails. Amen? You're still experiencing the good life in spite of the circumstances around you. So we get to this one last reflection, then we need to go to communion. Reflection point is simply this. The good life is a balance of knowing and living then. And there are times in your life when they're going to look like this, and that's okay. You're learning a whole bunch of stuff. There are times in your life when you're going to look like this, and that's okay. It's just not meant to be the permanent status of your life, okay? There's meant to be this kind of ongoing balance between these known things you have because you're born again in Jesus Christ and then how you live your life. So with that, we're going to go into communion. Um, Would you bow your heads for a moment of prayer and then I'm going to go right into the invitation and ask that you please keep your your heads bowed during this whole time and be reflective on Jesus Christ this morning. Um, Lord God, I want to thank you for 1 Peter 1 and how it's got us started on this exploration of what it means to have the good life in you. I just thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. As, as Peter did, I praise your name that in you we have a, causing us to live hope, Jesus, because of the resurrection that, God, there, I, I, don't, I could just stop at that point alone and just ponder that for, for a long time, Lord, that we have this prevailing hope because of Jesus and his resurrection. Lord, I, I just pray that that would really imprint itself on some. I know, God, for some of us, this whole family talk is so so good because we just desire to have intimacy and, and family relationships, Lord. And I, I, in you, God, we are more than a servant. We are friends. And in you, God, we are family. And God, I want to thank you that you're uh, continually working in our lives, that, uh, that there's this ongoing activity and we can just count on those things. These are givens. These are like the, the given weight side of the good life scale. But Lord God, I pray for us to be holy, separated people unto you, Lord, uh, in loving conformance to your ways and in loving conformance to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would li- live life with this, this reverent awe of you, God, um, and, and seeing ourselves not as permanent residents here on this planet, but as temporary ambassadors uh, on mission for you, Lord. I pray that there would be this agape love for you and, and, and each other, Lord, that we would truly, truly love as Jesus loved us and that that would just be our, our lifestyles. And I pray that then would become the kind of the balance of the good life that you intend for us to live. Lord, now as we enter into this time of communion, it's a perfect moment to end this service with. Reflection on who you are and what you've done for us.